You're listening to SermonCast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. Today we're going to continue on our series that we've been talking about, Unfathomable. And um, here's one thing that we've talked about over the years and I've come to find about myself Uh, which is enormously true, is um, um, humanity has, um, we have the tendency to forget. And so when I say that, um, and I don't just mean where's my keys, where's those kind of things, but historically, God's people, when they take their eyes off of him because they're just being random and not being on purpose, there's this tendency to just forget who he is, and none of us would say, yeah, I forget God. No, we don't say that, but in our spirit, what I mean is we, we don't purposely look upon him, worship him, be amazed by him, bless him, uh, which is a biblical principle, like David speaking to his soul, bless the Lord, almost like there has to be purpose to it, because if there's no purpose to it, then we just start to fall off and be random. And you see it through the scriptures over and over and over again. It starts with Adam and Eve, and it happens in every setting, happens in my life is that I sometimes or often, unfortunately, uh, bring my eyes down and I focus even on good things, ministry, family, all those things. The problem with that is I start to forget about the goodness of God and how intrinsically important he is to my every single breath and my every single step. And when I stop looking at him on purpose, in my heart, I'm not trying to be disloyal. I'm not trying to be sloppy. It just happens because there's this human condition that we forget about the grandiose nature and goodness and character of God. So we, when we do that, we slouch. Everybody starts in seasons where your anxiety is running high and you're freaking out about money and we're, we're, you know, we're just overwhelmed with uh, sadness or fear, what has happened? You have put another God, whether you like it or not, I'm the same way, we've put another God on the throne, we've pushed the Lord over mentally because we can't physically and actually spiritually do that. And what we have is we're, we're worshiping new things all the while having access to one, the only one that can actually fix or change those things. And so we don't want to be forgetful people. We want to be people that remember on purpose. This is why we we dig into the Word, and this is why we we come together and hear teachings, remind ourselves. This is why we... Uh, why we should daily get up and thank God just for his goodness. Just like, you know, you know, as the Lord sitting there needing, hey, can you remind me what a good God I am? That's not really his character. He knows he's a good God. You need to be reminded of how good he is. Amen? We need to proclaim the things of God because you, yourself, and I, um, we need to remember how good he is. And when we remember and we focus and we concentrate and we stare into the things of kingdom um, and kingdom comes, the rest of this stuff holds less weight over our hearts, right? And I don't know about you, but um, I get sick and tired of the weight that's on my shoulders and the weight that's on my chest and the weight that's in my heart with things so burdened and so heavy in this world. Uh, and, And I feel like the Lord just sends us sweet reminders like, hey, up here, like right here, I've, I've already given you promises of overcoming. I've already given you, over, uh, you know, promises of eternal life and freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Amen? Um, we uh, we want to look into the face of God, and we want to see Him, and we don't want to be sloppy, and we want to say, Lord, you are amazing. And so 
that's why we started this unfathomable series. But honestly, this series will be over someday, and you're still going to have the problem. Uh, you know, it might be a few more years. I can keep pulling out words and stuff from the Bible, but um, kidding. Um, the thing is, is that if, you have, if we don't get into rhythms and hold each other accountable, disciple each other on how to spend time in the presence of God every day, this stuff just fades. Like last week, like we talked about Adonai, like my Lord, the Lord of my life, those things in your human nature will fade out the back of your memory without purposefully you bringing it back. This is why we live by the Spirit, right? Because the flesh is against us, our mind is against us, so we live by the Spirit, and we open the doors for the Spirit to come when we invite Him in, when we read our Word, when we take time to pray, when we take time to focus on an unfathomable God. And I promise you, what we all need is a bigger picture of Him, a deeper revelation of Him, a deeper understanding in our heart of who Jesus is. Those are the things that will change us from the inside out. Amen? Amen? Amen. What happened over here? Somebody set off a stink bomb or something? Like, Mike, what did you do? This is a weird setting. All these people over here, do they need to be rebuked when you see them? Um, and here's the thing. The Lord, the Lord wants us to pursue him and to know him more. Um, he invites us to spend our lives growing forward in our knowledge and adoration and love and dedication to him and we do that by, by giving our lives just to knowing who he is and obeying what he has called us to do. Now, this old quote, it's a true obedience. I think Jonathan and I were talking about this in my office this week. True obedience is a love reaction to who he is and the love he has first lavished on us. Let me say this for the millionth and twelfth time. The things that change us from the inside out is the love of God and our obedience to Him, loving Him back. It's just, it's just true obedience never happens when you beat people with it, right? Like, like with your kids, not that I've ever beaten my children for months, right? It's been a long time since I've laid hands on my children. Uh, but what, what happens is it, is it when I beat them, into submission. Okay, I'll start referencing, stop referencing my children. Let's say we are disciplining somebody heavy-handedly, and that heavy-handedly, even if they learn new rhythms, what is the motivating force of what they're doing? Well, it's fear, and, it's, and, it's, and it turns out to be resentment, right? And you don't do it because your heart's changed. You do it because you've been beaten into submission, and, and we all, and we don't say this, but we feel like often, I think like the Lord does that to us. Oh, God's disciplining me again. Oh, he's beating me down. He just, he wants character, uh, you know, uh, behavioral, you know, uh, additions and corrections. He doesn't. He wants a love reaction. It's a heart reaction. We will never be free, truly free of the things like lust and porn addictions and money and food. We'll never be free of those things. We'll never lay them down freely until it's a heart thing. You hear me? And there are some people that are really good at being disciplined and not doing this, that, and the other thing. But there's a difference between white-knuckling something for the rest of your days and actually walking in freedom of it. Like, you can be free. I can be free. We can be free. I need a deeper revelation of who he is, and I want to see him for all he is because uh, the things that I worship on earth, when I take a minute back to look at those two things, guess what? They're nothing compared to him. And this is why religiousness, as we know it, and church, as we've known it, and some of us have grown up in, it's just methodical teachings about stuff and no deep revelation of who God is. Like, it has to be an intimate look at the face of God and who he is. Amen? 
So as we continue on this unfathomable thing, um, this unfathomable series, uh, as we've talked, a lot of things break off when we get a deeper revelation of him. And so we're looking at one of his attributes again today, and an attribute just as a reminder, something that God has revealed about himself. So we've talked about God is everlasting. We talk about he's unchanging. He's good. He's sovereign. Everybody say sovereign. And he is, his name is Adonai, like our Lord. Amen. So this week, we're going to talk about one that is named, everybody, how many of you are old enough to remember Uncle Jesse in Full House? Have mercy. Thank you. Some of you, Steve saw reruns. That's cute. (laughs) Stephanie probably was showing him those shows from the old days and uh, showed him one of those. Amen. Uh, But uh, (laughs) I just, man, that was was a positive thing. Um, She's trying to help him catch up. we talk about mercy. Uh, mercy kind of unfolds. When we talk about mercy, here's the Christian usually way we, we talk about. We usually, when we talk about mercy, we bring in grace, right? And so, and we contrast and, and we talk about those two things. And so, when we talk about mercy and grace, and by the way, New Testamentally, the words for both, they kind of merge. And so, there is merging in them, um, but um, there's a difference. So, we talk about grace. What is grace? It's, it's getting what you don't deserve right? And so what we have when we have grace, we have the love of God, we have freedom, we have salvation. All of those things are outpourings and products of God's grace. You didn't deserve them, but you got them because he's good, not because you earned it. Amen? And then we do, we do, we do, 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 do. We get mercy and mercy is, our answer for mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so grace is receiving something you didn't deserve, and mercy is not getting something you deserve. And so those are great definitions, and they're helpful, but when we do that and we don't look holistically into the Word, we kind of lose a little bit of what God's actual heart is and His character as mercy. So let's break it up in like two parts. So first, we'll start with... Uh, mercy and the definition, mercy, uh, that I, one of the ones that I found, mercy is when uh, what is deserved is withheld to the benefit of the object of the mercy. And so as we look in the scriptures, uh, the same verse that we would come to that I often do teach from for talking about grace is Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, right? So the wages of sin is death. And so we can talk this back a little bit again. The only thing we deserve again is what? is death, right? And what has spared us from that death? We've been given the love and grace of God, but how has mercy injected itself into that? He has withhold, withheld, withheld from us uh, what we deserved. Now, um, we can find a lot. This, I was hitting this last night, and, and unfortunately, Garth Brooks was swinging around in my head again every time I think about this. Not that there's anything wrong with Garth, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's, like, it's like a twofold thing. We find uh, this quote, we find the love of God in what he has given us, but we can also find an abundance of the love of God in what he has not given us. You understand? Like we, I think that, man, I think I just have this complaining heart sometimes And I think for a moment, if the Lord would just push pause on my life and actually open the door to all of the things that he has withheld from me, right? All the things that I deserve because of the wages of sin or death, what? Every single thing I do, if it's warped and washed in sin, all of it is worth death. 
But if I, if I, and then I sit here and I'm like, oh God, why don't you bless me with this? And where's your grace in this? Like, I, I just wish sometimes he would open the door and show me. He's like, Rob, shut your mouth. That's just how he and I talk. It's our love language, right? I don't say it to him until he says it to me. Um, it's not. Anyway, but open the door for a minute and look at this time, this time, this time, this time, that sin, that accident, that person, that place, that heart. Over and over and over again, whether you know it or not, the mercy of God, and, and we see it, we, we tend to focus more on grace because we feel it's a tangible thing that we have, but mercy is just as tangible. It's just not something you've gotten. It's something that was taken from you that would have been destruction, right? So like the mercy of God is a big deal because over and over and over again, number one, salvation-wise, you deserve death. And because of the love of God, you did not receive death. We received life if we were followers of Jesus. Amen? Amen? And the other part of that is over and over and over again in our lives beyond salvation, the mercies of God are working every single day for every single sin, for every broken situation. In the words of St. Garth, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Okay. Have you ever thought about that before? If God gave you every single thing you ever asked for or wished for? I mean, are you serious? <laughs> and, and, and we go, God, why don't you ever bless me? And the Lord's withholding is a bigger blessing than you've ever come to know. And it's hard for us because we don't tangibly see them right? We can tangibly understand, okay, I'm not going to hell. Praise God, right? This is not a works-based salvation. Praise God. He's got that, but there are so many things in his mercy that he has withheld from us that we can't see, but we have to know they're there. And so um, we desperately need to focus and understand and to walk in the freedom and the mercy of God. And a huge disconnect for us, I was thinking about this, like um, <laughs> a, huge, a huge disconnect for us is, is when we don't realize how much we need the mercy of God. Like I can be so entitled. Can I just, I know, I know that's none of you, but I can be so entitled. But I desperately need the mercy of God to continue day after day. And I'm glad the scriptures say the mercy is new every day, every single day. The mercy of God is withholding what we deserve, withholding situations in his sovereign will that even though we might have wanted, he knows what's best for us. And we just walk around sometimes, I say we, I don't want to incriminate any of you, just me, I just walk around so entitled. And in the end, the, the, the question is, I'm, I'm under the mercy of God and I just need to place myself there. Amen? Entitlement is completely destroyed under the shadow of the mercy of God. You understand? All we deserve is death. We've been given the love of Jesus and salvation in his grace and in his mercy is just as sweet. We have avoided eternal death because of the cross of Christ. Like, just honestly, just you and me here speaking today, like what thing in your life do you feel like you're entitled to washes over that? There's not a single attitude or heart or tangible thing that Rob Dan's deserves that is over the mercy of God. And, and we know that, but in the end, I start to treat these things like I do deserve them, right? And in the end, if the sovereign God of heaven hasn't given it to you, guess what? It's the mercy of God, 
And what he has given you is the grace of God. And it's enough. Amen? We desperately need a reminder on the sweetness of the mercy of God. So that's one part. So we've avoided, because of God, he has taken from us. I say avoided like we got out of the way. Like, no, we were right in the way. The bus was coming and the Lord grabbed us, right? So we've talked about that. And the other part of this that we kind of miss by our, by our, our, um, our kind of our just square definitions and platitudes is the Old Testament word that translate is mercy is actually loving kindness, and so when we look at that, there's two things. There's the, there's the point of not receiving something that we deserved, but the other part of it is he's merciful. And when we talk about merciful, it's actually a characteristic of God. Everybody say characteristic. This quote, mercy is not only the absence of getting what we deserve, it's also the heart of compassion of God that brings us mercy. A.W. Pink says, his ready inclination to receive the misery of fallen creatures. And Wayne Grudem, I very rarely quote, quote Wayne Grudem, but here he is. God's goodness towards those in ministry, uh, excuse me, <laughs> happy pastor appreciation month, in mystery, in mystery and misery, go the same hand. Anyway, misery and distress. They don't, it's always great. There's never an issue, there's never mercy. <laughs> Misery. Somebody's going to have to tag in and take over. Listen, um, like you, do we understand like God is merciful? And we talk about the mercy of God. It's a truth, but it's actually a personification of him and his loving kindness. It's what fuels, it's, it's the compassion of God, right? It's the, it's the longing. And, and I think sometimes we get into this place where God's so far away that he's not compassionate. He's just you know, sovereignty. People go overboard with sovereignty and think like God just does things and we're puppets and we're, and, and we're just little tinker toys. But in the end, like the mercy of God is over us. He's merciful. Like when you, when you look to the scriptures and like he heard the cries of Israel and Egypt, he heard them. There was, it's documented that the Lord had compassion on them because of their captivity. Look at Psalms 145, 8 through 9. Uh, we used to sing a song in here called Psalms 145. Woo, that's one of my favorites. You should go listen to it. It says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Mercy is a major character of God. He genuinely loves you. He genuinely has compassion over us. He knows our suffering. He knows our brokenness. See, that's why when we talk about sovereignty a couple of weeks ago, we're like, God was in the room when broken things happened to you. And a lot of people have a disconnect with that. And they're like, well, how come he let it? We, we talked about that. He, there are things that God stops and things that he doesn't because he's, he has a bigger plan. He has a bigger thing. He has a bigger narrative that he's doing. He doesn't just stop sinners from sinning. But in the end, don't ever think that that means that God is not a God of compassion. Like we talked about justice a little bit a couple weeks ago, like abuse that came and brokenness and came and abandonment came. Those people have to answer for that, right? There has to be an answer. If the blood of Jesus isn't over that, and if they're not people that have succumbed to the grace and, and, and the mercy of God, that's a big problem. But don't for a minute think that God was not compassionate. It is his character. The Lord God's heart races for the heart of his children. He's slow to anger. He's gracious. He's mercy. 
2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Um, if this text is true, this is just something just kind of going off the cusp, cuff a little bit here. But think about it. If, if the Lord is the Father of mercies and he comforts us in all of our afflictions, then what is the disconnect when I'm going through afflictions and I feel no comfort at all? Either the Lord is a liar and the scriptures aren't true, or there is a disconnect in the middle of affliction where I am not receiving the comforts of God. Because to be honest, I don't like how he comforts me sometimes. Right? I want him to fulfill my desire for the thing, and he won't, and I refuse to see that as comfort. Someone still dies, right? Someone still cheats. Someone still lies. He doesn't do that. So I don't feel very comforted in that. But then as a follower of Jesus, I've got to entrench my heart to look for the comfort that God brings. What is his comfort? His promises, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This is a temporary thing. Suffering ends. And sometimes I think that my problem with being comforted in the middle of distress is I don't, I want more. And in the end, <laughs> in his mercy, he doesn't give me what I want because his narrative, the bigger picture he is putting in my life, his comfort is enough. Like, like my grace is sufficient for you. He tells Paul that, right? Like Paul's like, hey, take this affliction from me. And the Lord says, no, my grace is sufficient. Like what does that mean? The grace of God is enough inside of us to carry us through the afflictions that we go through. And I will say this, has God always been a God of mercy or was he just big old meanie bully head in the Old Testament and then he woke up merciful when Jesus was born in the manger? Hmm? No. Great. He's always been a God of mercy. This is where um, a lot of biblical illiteracy comes in and where people think like, oh, that's the Old Testament God. There's no variation between the Old Testament God and there's no variation in the God of creation and the God uh, of revelation. There, there's no variation. There's no change in him. He's unchanging. He's always been good. We see the mercy of God manifest itself in the garden, okay? God tells them, don't just, you can have all this, all of it, just this one thing, stay away from it. And he says, if you eat of it, you're surely, surely will die. Poor Shirley, right? You will surely die. And what happens? What do they do? They eat it, and the Lord comes strolling through the cool of the garden, right? And they're, and they're naked, and we know the narrative. We talk about it all the time. But what does he do? From the very beginning, they are cursed by their reactions, and at the same time, the mercy of God takes account. From the minute that they sin, what does he do? He clothes them. He literally clothes them. That is, that is, that is, that is just the merciful heart of God working towards him. And then Genesis 3.15, he puts the promise of their relief coming. The, the, the fact that he injected that promise of Jesus in Genesis 3.15 is the mercy of God. He loved them. Their consequences were death. And in his mercy, they didn't receive eternal 
death as a people. We didn't succumb to the sins of Adam that happened right there. We actually, uh, we actually are under the new Adam, Jesus, perfection, mercy. Amen? God's mercy comes immediately in the garden. God's mercy in giving Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. Um, his mercy, his heart that rushes in for his people that are in captivity. Uh, you ever read through the book of Ruth? And, you know, you have like, you have Naomi and Ruth and the mercy of God. Like these are two widows that can't fend for themselves, <laughs> have no provision. And, um, and he just provides. He could have left them in their state of just being uncovered. No man in that society means you're poor and you're begging. And what happens? They send this kinsman redeemer, Boaz. By the way, it's foreshadowing a picture of Jesus. This kinsman redeemer that comes in. Why? Because it's the merciful heart of God chasing after his heartbroken daughters. We see the mercy seat in Scripture. And we talk about the Old Testament when you see... Um, Things like in Exodus 25, and it's referenced in Hebrews 4. So we have the holiest of holies in the tabernacle, right? Like inside the tabernacle in the very inner courts, there's some furniture in there from Ikea, right? That was really what was wrong with the priests is they were spending a lot of time putting together stupid Ikea furniture. That might have been blasphemy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but there was the Ark of the Covenant inside of this place, right? And the top of the Ark of the Covenant, what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? Okay, what were the tangible things? Say it again. Okay, Ten Commandments, right? Somebody else's. Okay, we'll get to that. Um, listen, but the top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. There's these cherubim, it's gold. And um, what was the point of that? The, the, the seat in there, why was it called that? It was this place where God symbolically sat and mercifully dealt out his mercy to his people as they came and they made sacrifices. Like this mercy characteristic is all over the place. Everybody say mercy seat. Mercy has always been in his character and has played itself out and still today throughout history. So I wanted to walk through a couple ways like mercy shows itself out in our lives. And the, and the first one is it's just the mercy we receive. Everybody say receive. And so here's some things scripturally that I hope you find interesting. If not, you will just bear with me till you go to lunch. But here's the deal. As mercy covers the earth. And what do I mean by that? So Matthew 5, 44 through 45 says something really interesting, okay? Um, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Listen, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. There is a part of the mercy of God that everybody on the face of the earth receives. And as we look at this scripture, he causes the sun to rise on the good and on who? The evil, right? He causes rain to fall on the just and on who? The unjust, like there's provision, amen? It seems ironic to me that I was a person, just like make Paul one time, but I, I would curse the people of God and curse God, and with my very mouth, I would denounce the things that later became the sole focus and heart of my life, and the mercy of God still let me breathe. The mercy of God still let the stupid words come out of my mouth. 
the mercy of God still allowed me to have a family and a job and provision. Like, it's the mercy of God, the very mercy of God. People that will curse his name today are under his mercy. Because in a second, the God of heaven could go, and you could take that to the bank. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? How patient is he in his mercy with his creation? And we know, like different places, like Matthew 24, 14, and he is, he is, he is not, we can't even count his patience. He is being patient so everyone will hear and everyone that are his will have a chance to respond. Amen? So today, the people outside that protest church and hate this and think that Jesus is a, a scam, you see it all the way on the news and this society we live in anymore, like, I don't think they understand, but we should, like, give God thanks because he is patiently being merciful to them in their foolishness. Amen? And by the way, he's done that with every single one of us before we called on his name. And so there's that kind of mercy. The sun rose in, in Argentina today, the mercy of God, right? <laughs> there was food and provision in China today. Uh, you know, communist leaders enjoyed relationship today, right? That's all the mercy of God. But there's another part of mercy that's the sovereign mercy that he shows just to those who are his, and so the first one is um, our salvation is absolute mercy. You hear me? Your salvation is the absolute mercy of God. Like Titus 3, 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is the very mercy of God that you are an eternal, worshiping, be with him forever, new body, new heaven, new earth person. It's his mercy. It's another one. Scripturally, we look in his mercy, his kindness leads us to repentance. Romans 2.4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. What we were talking about earlier, it's not just a wrath of God that leads us to surrender, right? Maybe some of you had a good turn or burn sermon when you were a kid, right? You're like, man, I don't want to go to hell, <laughs> right? And by the way, it's a really good thing to not want to go to hell, amen? But that is so marginally fractional when you think about the extent of who God is and what his love is. He didn't just save us so we don't go to hell. Listen, he, in his mercy, he still would have been merciful if he said, okay, uh, you don't get punishment. Uh, you're not going to die, excuse me, for your sin, but you're just going to stay on earth and live miserably. He's still merciful, right? But there's way more to mercy than that. Um, um, his mercy is what leads us. His kindness is what actually leads us to genuine repentance. When we look at salvation, we go, I don't want to go to hell. 
Or I believe the correct response is, man, the love of God has purchased me pardon from hell because of his love, and I want him. I want that. I want to surrender. We don't ever fully heart feel surrender our lives to anything out of iron fisting. Never. Parents, if you iron fist with your kids your entire lives, but you don't have the, the love of God, the love of a parent to match that and overflow, you're going to have robots that are ticked off and will end up in counseling and doing the same thing to their children. Same thing with you. We repent because of the goodness of God. You repent because you can. We repent because what we do in sin blocks part of our relationship with the Lord. It's offensive to God. He can't have anything to do with it. The blood of Jesus is over that offense. That's why we repent. His mercy, his goodness, his loving kindness is why we don't repent because we have to. We repent because we get to. See? That's deep groanings of the spirit going on in that child already. Amen? Um, it's not the wrath of God that leads us to surrender. It's his kindness and his mercy that offers us a way out of that wrath because of his love. By the way, if you have a hard time with overcoming and not being repentant over something, there's a, there's a love language disconnect in the middle of that. Because you make the assumption that you have to do these things to be right by God. And the scriptures say you're already right by God. So we lay those things down because of his loving kindness and mercy. Why do I want to drop lust in my life? Well, because it's not productive. Okay, sure, right? It breaks the heart of God. And in his mercy, he's given me freedom from that. I just want to walk in it. I want to repent because he's worth it. He's good, amen? I know there's other sins. I just keep coming back to that one today. Scripture also tells us we can come confidently when we really need it. Hebrews 4.16, let us listen with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I was thinking a little bit, why do you think the seek first thing is so critical? Like, do you think the seek first thing is like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Like, what is the driving heart behind that? Why do we do that? Because God's like, hey, stupid, seek me first, obviously. Anyone? Randy evidently disagrees with that. He's getting up and walking out. It's all right. There's mercy for you, brother. <laughs> um, we could come confidently in the seek him first thing uh, because that's, that's his heart. Like when you're struggling with something, it's the mercy of God that allows us just to come. Like we could come confidently in his presence. Even if there's something that's broken in your heart, we could come confidently into the throne room of grace because of his mercy and bring it to him. Like there's not a single thing you carry that the God of heaven won't carry with you. Unless us, obviously, like what about sin? Obviously. But we can confidently repent. We can conf when we confess our sins, the next one, we receive the mercy of God. Listen, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain what? Mercy. Look at how the progression works. The God of mercy is ready to give his mercy, to dish it out. Listen, every time, mercy is there. Amen? Every sin, mercy is there. 
Anytime mercy's there. If I just think about this, why on earth do I hold on to my sin and don't repent for so long? Well, I don't want God to be disappointed in me. Well, there's a scriptural answer to that, right? Like there are things in my heart that I carry that are so wicked and evil, and the scripture says at any time, any time, the mercy of God is there for people who confess. Now listen, if you have this long, drawn-out relationship with the Lord where he's just this mechanical big G God in the sky and nothing relational, you're going to miss this mercy piece. There is mercy for sinners coming to repent at the feet of God. Mercy. Every time. It begs to differ. Why do we hold it for so long and try to hide it when there's not a single thing we can hide and hold away from the Lord? Like forgiveness and freedom comes, the mercy comes when we come to the confession and the confession is not withheld. Holding on to my sin seems silly under the weight of the mercy of God. It's another one. His mercy stays with us forever. Psalms 23, 6. Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You cannot exhaust the mercies of God. Some of you are like, well, you don't sin as much as I do. A, let's, let's compete. Let's fill out some forms and talk about how much we sin. But listen, you can't, you can't, you can't outgrow, you can't outsin the mercy of God. The mercy of God is always with us. It says all the days of my life, so in our tangible living life, the mercy of God is with us. And then in the eternal places, we are eternally with the God of mercy forever. By the way, these kind of things, these truths should kill things like cowardice and shame, right? Like they should, like mercy should destroy shame and withholding because God wants to, in his loving kindness, his character wants to release us from the things that only he can release us from. Amen? The other part of this is um, that was the mercy we receive and there's way more scripturally. But the other part of this is it has to take a turn. There's also the mercy, the life of mercy we live. Johnny Mack says this, Don MacArthur says, the most compelling motivation for faithful, obedient living should not be the threat of discipline or loss of reward, but overflowing and unceasing gratitude for the marvelous mercies of God. Luke 6.36, be merciful even as your father is Merciful. So mercy says, I have compassion over another person's situation, and I make the choice to seek to do something about their need. So when you think about yourself for a minute, not only have we received mercy, the loving kindness of God, the characteristic of God, but we're actually supposed to give that mercy. Do you understand what MacArthur's saying? The thing shouldn't be fear or discipline. The reason why we show mercy is because of the mercies of God, right? Like we give people mercy because we have been given mercy. I see somebody's situation and they are hurting and they need the loving kindness and compassion of God to go and help them lift that. Who is called to go and lift it? We are.
And the problem with this is, is it's a litmus test <laughs> because uh, the degree in which I give mercy is honestly a litmus test for how I've understood mercy. How many times do we see it in the scripture in New Testament, New Testamental stories about the guy who's been given freedom from his debt? And what does he do? He has like enormous debt from his master and he's been given full pardon. And what does he do? He goes and over, over, overlords a lack of mercy on this guy who owes him much less, but he throws him, wants to throw him in jail. And the master comes back and he says, what? No. <laughs> and that's a great story, but that is a personification in life that I have to put over my life. Like God has given me so much mercy, yet... I can still demand things out of people that I have no right to demand. I still expect and I still want the things and direct obedience of people. And I want every situation to work out in. And I, when people mess up, how aggressive am I with my mercy when people fail around me? When people fail around you, my kids, my friends, my spouse, do we give the mercy that God has given us. And sometimes the reason why I don't give mercy is because I've forgotten how rich and sweet that the mercy of God is in my life. I was thinking about, this was tattooing my heart as I thought about this, like mercy brings us relief from depravity of our situations, Okay. And I'm called to do the same thing for other people. So number one, here's the thing about it. It's not based on merit. We don't get to distribute mercy based on the fact if someone deserves it or not. <laughs> right? Like, imagine if the Lord did that to us. He give as much mercy as I deserve. Well, that, that's kind of the anti-type of mercy. <laughs> um, it also doesn't matter if they reciprocated or not. If someone's horrible for you, to you their whole life, they don't, haven't shown you an ounce of mercy their entire life, are we excused from showing them loving kindness and mercy? No. Never if I feel like it. Dieter Bonhoeffer, such a stud muffin, said this, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Listen, that is the merciful heart of God working his way through our lives. When we see people, if I see them through how they annoy me, how they've disappointed me, if I see them through their sin, if I see them through all these kind of things, I am desperately missing the heart of God because the heart of God is looking at them in light of what they suffer, just like God's loving kindness over me. I have to confess, I struggle with having a heart of mercy over a lot of people, especially over the years of doing mercy, for, I mean, doing ministry for so long. I, like, um, I've, like, just dealing with, just for example, people in addictions, like I've been dealing with people in addictions my whole life. I gotta be honest, my heart races for them, and they also annoy the snot out of me most of the time. Why? Because they lied to me over and over again. I've given years of my life for their freedom and putting in time and hours with them, 
And in the end, my heart has become hardened and I can start to avoid having the mercy of God, compassion over their lives because I've been jaded, because I've been hurt. And we do the same thing with exes and we do the same thing with kids and we do the same thing with families and we do the same thing with, with work. You know, I talked about, you know, the whole Dan's black curtain of death like we have this thing and it comes directly from me. It's inherited from me. If you break my heart, if you tick me off, you are behind the wall and very few people could come back. And I'm not gonna, th- I'm not gonna be even brokenhearted about it. Like there's this weird thing in me dealing with family and stuff over my life where if I put you on the other side of the wall, I don't cry. I don't think about you. I don't worry about you. You're just there. That is the exact opposite of the mercy of God. There's no wall. I'm not allowed to have the wall. Yeah, but they've hurt me like the Lord understands. Sometimes there's healthy separation, but the Lord of heaven says, listen, uh, what is different between your heart and their heart and what they deserve between what you deserve? And my answer is... (laughs) Nothing. You got daddy issues. I get it. He deserves mercy. Why? Because he's worth it? No. Because we've received mercy. Friends, (laughs) spouses, when we refuse to give the mercy of God, we're playing judge and jury in a court that we were never invited into. And we need to repent. So as we just turn the corner, I was thinking about these targets of mercy. (laughs) And I don't mean like targets you shoot at, praise God. Like what are areas where I need to be on purpose with mercy in my life? Like number one, like our spouses. Like our spouses deserve the mercy of God in our lives. And by the way, the people we're closest to, they should be the people that get the biggest access to the attributes of God because they're with you the most. Right? And so my spouse deserves mercy. And I deserve mercy from my spouse. Remember, those of us who have great memory, man, I am not the best with dates, but I can catalog things my wife has done and said over the last 25 plus years, like literally first year stuff. I can go, whoop, whoop, and throw. She's like, I forgot about that. I've never even thought about that in 12 years. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Right? Um. That woman deserves nothing but mercy from me. Her kids, kids screw up. <laughs> they deserve mercy. Kids, your parents, praise God, hallelujah. Your, kid, your parents deserve mercy. What about the ones that have done horrible things or abandoned you or disowned you, whatever? They deserve the mercy of God. Not because they're worthy, but because you have been given mercy. Our friends, the church, hot dang. The church deserves mercy. The poor, the orphan and the widow, which is the only receivable religion of heaven is those who care for the orphan and the widow. And our enemies deserve the mercy of God. Now think about that. It's an empowering thing. If I don't want to give, I don't want to give my enemies mercy because then I lose control of the situation 
And then if I have to give them mercy, and it means like I have to, I'm dying to something. Yeah, that's the whole point, right? Like the people that hate you the most, they deserve the mercy of God from you because we were enemies, separated from God at one time. And because of his great mercy and love for us, we're in, right? And so on my, that's why the scriptures are like, man, heap burning coals on them, right? Like that, that's how we do it. You know what? I hate you a lot. I'm going to love you really well. It seems weird, but that's how it kind of goes, right? But not because of our own strength, but because of the love of God. Mercy coming from God's people is the very heart and actions of Jesus that change the world. I know a lot of people want to bash the church these days. And well, if we did more things, like you realize like hospitals exist because of the church, right? Schools in many areas exist. Food feeding people exist because the church, we just somehow that heart over the years, we just kind of, kind of lost that. Like the mercy of God. Everybody knows what we're against and we are against some things biblically. But if we don't approach that place with mercy, no one's going to hear that. Hey, you're a big idiot sinner. Oh, why, thank you. I repent. How many of that did that work on all of you? Anyone? No. Listen, God is an unfathomable God of unfathomable mercy that has spared us from the wrath that we deserve because he loves us. He calls us to give that same mercy away to others without limit, without condition, and without question. I have this uh, long-winded quote from Spurgy Baby, but I think it's good. Sin is a thing of time, but mercy is everlasting. Transgression is but of yesterday, but mercy was ever of old. Before you and I sought the Lord, the Lord sought us. Though the woman was made to feel great sorrows, yet those were connected with a happy event which causes the travail to be forgotten. This is childbirth, right? Part of the curse was there was pain in childbirth, and that was given, but the mercy of God, what happens? It's wiped away with the thing that comes from it, right? Like that's the plan and heart of God. There was a tenderness in the dread utterances of an offended God, and mainly so because almost as soon as he declared that man must labor and die, he promised that the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. Assuredly, the Lord our God is by very nature very pitiful and full of compassion. Men may be cowed by power, but they can only be converted by love. The sword of justice hath less power over human hearts than the scepter of mercy. He who notices God's mercy will never be without a mercy to notice. Like, wow. So twofold as we get ready for a time of worship. Number one, the mercy of God is over your life in such an amazing way, and we need to be men and women who pay attention and receive the mercy of God in our hearts. It's his love and kindness that leads us to worship him. It's his love and kindness that leads us to repent. It's his love and kindness that leads us to live in a way that honors and glorifies him because he's good, not because he demands it of you, because his love demanded it. 
and we've received it. If you see God as a giant jerk in the sky, you've missed it. He is a God of mercy. His heart races for you. Yes, he allows us to go through stuff, but do not think for a minute that his heart doesn't burst for his child. And number two, that he won't, in his perfect way, avenge the brokenness of this world. The other side of that for us is, um, if you see him as that, you need to see him as a God of grace. You need to ask him, Lord, help me (laughs) to see your mercy. Part two is this. Are you a person of mercy? Are you merciful? And Yes, we can all break out the, the, the category. So, well, some people I am, some people I'm not. Here's a great way to do, here's the best way. Ever, anyone ever teach you when you're a kid, worst first? Right, when mom would bring me a plate of hot dogs and beans, right? What would happen? This is so stupid, Kip, but I'm going to go with it anyway. If my mom would say, hey, you have to eat everything on the plate, but worst first, right? And so I would begrudgingly be like, you know what I mean? You go through the beans and then you have the good stuff left. Kip, this is bad. You agree? No, you agree, and Kip agrees, and he's graceful. But, but the point is, there's, here's a great way to cover, to make sure all the little things are covered in your life. Start with the hard things, right? Like, where are you not very gracious at showing mercy and attack that place with prayer and obedience, right? Go to the places. What about the people who I have issues with the most? How has my mercy been over them? And then go and deal with that. If you are a merciless person, guess what? There is grace and mercy at the foot of the cross today to come and confess your mercilessness and receive the mercy of God. And there's also the power of God in his mercy that will change us. You can be a person of mercy. And if your answer is, I don't know how I'm going to do that. My heart's so hardened and I'm so hurt. Uh, I know you won't do it on your own. Only the love of God will do that. You have to start with the source. So we're going to go into a time of worship. And the two questions are, man, when was the last time I really reveled in the mercy of God? Do I have any idea the amount of things, millions of things probably that the Lord has withheld from me that I deserve? And when was the last time I just worshipped him for the things? This sounds weird, right? When was the last time I worshipped him for the things that I have no idea about? Like, have you ever just worshiped God for the unknown? <laughs> we should, because in the unknown, there's a lot of things that we deserve that he withheld. And number two, man, just allow the Lord to put a scope on our hearts and just say, man, um, do I give mercy like I've gotten it? And if not, Lord, receive my repentance.